Well, it's a refreshing change of pace in the Pac-12 today as they announced they're going to do something that no other Power 5 conference is doing. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. I've got that goal on YouTube for us. Get to 3,000 by the time the season starts. It's May. Season begins in September. I think we could do it. Let's make it happen. Grateful to all of you out there. So, uh, the Pac-12, I suppose on two fronts, is doing something that no other Power 5 conference is doing. They don't have a media rights deal. Everybody else does. But they are also announcing some changes and some increases or enhancements as they see it for their broadcasts come this fall. Now, this is not, of course, the news that Pac-12 fans have been waiting and hoping for. But I will say this is a positive development. Is this something that radically shifts my opinion of George Klyovkov? No. Do I like it? Yes. Does it change the media rights landscape? No, it does not. Just want to get ahead of these things, kind of get them out of the way before people start hurling accusations of, uh, sorry, I had a big itch in my head there, uh, before people start hurling accusations of, well, this still doesn't change this. Do you not realize that? Of course I do. But when the conference does good things, you should reward them for such. I think this is a collection of pretty good moves. So uh, this piece from Heather Dinich and ESPN lays it out really, really well, and I will try to do so more succinctly here. Basically what the Pac-12 is doing is they are attempting to be at the forefront of revolutionizing how college football broadcasts fundamentally operate and what sort of access we have as viewers and fans watching the games in our living rooms or at bars across the country at home. So they are th- they are talking about, or not talking about, this, this has been confirmed, this is going to happen uh, this year. They will have in-game coach interviews. They will have players mic'd up during pregame warmups, maybe not during the game, I don't believe. They will have non-miked cameras in the coaches' boxes so you can see the reaction of you know coordinators or whatnot. I'll talk about that in a sec. And those are a, a couple of the moves that were agreed upon by uh, the Pac-12 board of directors, ESPN, and Fox. The Big 12 is also reportedly also exploring the concept. And as of now, the Pac-12 is the only conference that's planning to do this. So I think what the Pac-12 has done here is they've looked at leagues like the XFL and the USFL, which are solid products, by the way. I won't say I've watched a ton, but like I've watched some here and there. You don't always have the highest level of quarterback play. But on the USFL broadcasts specifically, at least the last one that I was that, that I was watching a couple of weeks ago, the thing that I loved most was the enhanced audio that you had watching those games compared to what you see when you watch college football or the NFL. And I've long wondered, right, as someone who only played football for a few years in in middle school and since then has been a a fan or broadcaster of the sport ever since I was in high school, I've always been intrigued, and I know a lot of fans have as well, by what the communication is actually like when you're at the line of scrimmage. When a quarterback is making an audible, what is the actual call, right? And, of course, the most famous audible of all time is Omaha. 
Um, it's more of a, a cadence than than anything, but sometimes it was inaudible and whatnot. It just depends. But all that sort of stuff, hearing it, I think is really fascinating. Now, the reason I think this hasn't you know caught on in a major way yet is that concerns from coaches or schools in the professional or collegiate level about you know, your plays getting out there, hearing the audibles and having it on a broadcast, like could feel like too much exposure at times. But I think that's why, you know, there are little things in here like players or sorry, having non-miked cameras in the coaches boxes is why the league is ultimately going to go forward with this. And I think it makes the broadcasts more interesting because inside access is a really cool thing to see on TV, right? It makes you feel closer to the action. Perfect example. There is no sport in the world currently that uses live audio better than my favorite sport to play and one of my favorites to watch as well that bores many of you, and that's golf. So for all my golf fans out there who watch golf on TV, you know exactly what I am talking about. The PGA Tour and all the major championships, which are separate from the PGA Tour, all of those events figured out years ago, hey, listening to a player talk to his caddy and go through his shot process is fascinating. And I feel the same way about every sport, right? The NBA has had this for a long time as well, which is why I think it's encouraging the Pac-12 it is starting the, the movement here, and I hope it catches on across the country when it comes to broadcasts of college football because the NBA has had this, and they've done a really good job for years as well, not having live audio, but that you know inside track stuff. They go to the huddle, and you hear what the coach is saying. I love that stuff, and I, as a golf fan, when I'm watching golf on TV, I could listen for hours and hours, and I do when watching golf on television. PGA Championship is going on right now. Players and their caddies talking through their shot process, hearing that stuff literally changed how I personally play the game of golf because I heard what they were doing and thought to myself, wait a minute, why do I not think about all that sort of stuff and everything that goes into a shot? What's your carry number on the bunker? What are you front edge? What's long? Where's your miss? What's the, like everything like that, that they're talking about. And it's just fascinating. You know, he'll talk about the lie. He'll talk about you know, what, what the numbers are, what club he feels is going to get there. I don't know if I can get that club there, you know, out of the rough here. I think I need to go up one more. Ah, no, I think you should hold off because we'd rather miss short. Watching guys at the highest level of their profession like that in that intimate sort of setting and in that intimate sort of way, I think is fantastic. So I'm fully on board with this move. The one thing that, that I'm not crazy about is the in-game coach interviews, you know, March Madness and the NBA have done that. You can tell the coaches really don't want to do it. I don't need to hear from the coaches in game, right? Like coming out of a third quarter break or something or coming out of a timeout. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that, but if the coaches are okay with it, then okay. Like it's, it's fun to hear from them. But overall, if you're, if you're in the heat of, of, of the game coaching, I think you should be able to just, you know, focus on the game, right? I'm fine with interviews right before kickoff. I'm fine with halftime. I'm fine with post game. But, you know, if you're coming back from like the third quarter break and then you're going and putting a mic in Kyle Whittingham's face, I think you're going to see pretty easily like they they don't really want to be talking to it, and I don't need to hear from them specifically, but I understand what the what they're going for there. But college sports, unlike the the NFL and NBA, 
have been pretty, you know, compared to them behind on on this sort of access of miking up players and and coaches. It's not that it's never happened before, but it doesn't happen at all with the same level of frequency that it does in some other leagues, right? And as I said, golf is the gold standard there, and they've been doing it for for quite a long time. So I really like it. I like that the Pac-12 is is approaching it from a standpoint of hey, nobody else is doing this, but we want to do it because anything that can make you a more interesting television product i think is a worthwhile thing for any league and look i'm a pac-12 fan first but i'm also just a generic college football fan and i watch big time games and i would love to be able to hear you know more what what goes on and what's said between uh players what quarterbacks say at the line you know offensive coordinator reactions coordinator reactions are great like the famous one last year was of tommy reese uh, chewing out uh, Tyler Buckner, I think was his name, the Notre Dame quarterback during the, I think it was the Cal game. Um, I think it was Cal, might have been Marshall, don't remember. One of those games where Notre Dame didn't play well early in the year. And he's chewing him out, like that sort of stuff. It's very raw, it's very real, it's very authentic, and it's bringing the viewer into the broadcast. So I, I like that stuff. I'm on board with it. Don't need the in-game coaches interviews, but I, I understand why why they're there. And you know, hearing players mic'd up and whatnot, it, it it's fun. It's funny sometimes hearing the back and forth, the smack talk, the excited utterances and whatnot. I, I'm totally, totally here for it. Drop your thoughts in the YouTube comments or shoot me a note on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 if you agree or if you uh, disagree. Curious what you all think about that. David wants to know my thoughts on the recent comments of uh, Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson. I would like to know why all of you haven't gotten your next order of bird dog shorts yet, because depending on where you live, summer may already be here, or at the very least, it's right around the corner because we are now past the midway point in the month of May and bird dog shorts are are just perfect summer shorts. You can take them for a swim. You can take them to the golf course. You could take them out to go to a picnic or a barbecue. You could take them on a hike. They just have tremendous versatility. They fit great. They're really, really easy to put on, super comfortable to wear. They make you look great as well. Your legs look good. If you want to show them off a little bit, by all means, and you can bring them anywhere, right? You can wear one on the golf course, meeting, date, hanging out with friends, whatever the case may be. So go get your next order at birddogs.com slash locked on college. When you enter promo code locked on college, they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs, Yeti style tumbler with every order. So make sure you go get, go get your next pair of bird dog shorts at birddogs.com slash locked on college with promo code locked on college. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All righty. Let's uh, hop into the mailbag a little bit here. And you can always be a part of the mailbag. YouTube comments. I monitor those daily. Or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at lo underscore pac 12. This from David. Spencer, I want to know your opinion on the thoughts of ASU AD Ray Anderson. If correct, I say it is good, bad, and ugly for the pack. First, the good, except for the L.A. schools, no contraction, 
as in there was a meeting recently of PAC-12 uh, board of directors, commissioners, CEOs, whatever you want to call them. And they basically came out and said, yeah, we don't have a media deal yet, but the 10 schools are united on that front. Uh, now the bad, according to David, which he's right on. Since San Diego State would have to pay $51 million to the Mountain West, I think. I don't know if that's the number I thought it was closer to 30, but still it's much, much more um, after June 30th, right? Regardless, it goes up by uh, tens of millions of dollars. There will likely be no expansion. San Diego state will end up in the big 12 cutting off Southern California from the pack. Ugly would be, we will keep hearing about the TV deal grant of rights issue for at least several more months. So the reason that he's positing the question that way is Ray Anderson said, Something to the effect of July or August when the deal could actually get announced and that expansion would then happen after the fact. So if that were to happen, you would hear me be as hard on the conference during these entire negotiations as I ever have been. Because San Diego State, as I've pointed out, is a layup for the Pac-12. They don't want the Big 12, but much like other schools, they will go there if they are forced to. But San Diego State will come to you anytime. This is not a bidding war with the Big 12. This is not a competition for San Diego State. They are yours unless you drop the ball and force them to go elsewhere because they're ready to be Power 5 and they're a great school to add for a number of reasons that we've talked about many a times. So the thing that confuses me about the comments from Ray Anderson is Kirk Schultz then gave one of these other generic timelines of a few weeks to a month as to when it's going to be. And the previous report was end of May, early June. So I don't suspect, you know, I I've heard that, uh, I, or I've seen one time or another, like, Oh, it's going to be media deal, then expansion. Well, expansion in the big 12 preceded the extension of the media deal, not a brand new deal, but still it was expansion. And then it was media deal. So if you're the PAC 12, Unless there are logistics that I am personally unaware of and we are all unaware of collectively, I would like to see them at least announce San Diego State if you are actually going to push this thing into July, which like, God help us all. I mean, holy, holy smokes. If this thing goes into July or August that we're talking about it, which, which by the way, just to be fair here to, to Ray Anderson, the Big Ten deal was announced 11 months prior to the current deal expiring the current deal contractually has an end date of july 1st 2024 meaning if you were to go at the same uh, amount of time prior to the expiration of the current deal as the big 10 it could go to august which i'm just telling you right now i would talk about it if there were major updates i will not talk about thing that thing three to five days a week from now until the end of august that's not going to happen so I mean, some people may want that. I can't imagine a whole heck of a lot of you do. But, I mean, you can always ask a mailbag question. I will always answer it. A question has never gone unanswered here on the show. So I, I was confused, though, with the Ray Anderson remarks as to where that timeline came from. And then you have a university president saying a few weeks to a month. So, again, I'm going to revert back to the mindset I was in prior to this Pac-12 board meeting. And that was... I'm just going to let it play out and stop trying to read the tea leaves about who's right, who's not, which piece of speculation is correct, what timeline's accurate, what should we believe. I'm out. Like, give me the deal whenever you want to give it to me. At this point, I don't care. I would like them to have it done sooner rather than later, 
But at the end of the day, it needs to get done. And in my view, it needs to include San Diego State and SMU. And if it doesn't, that would be a colossal mistake, in my view, by the Pac-12 to just not have a presence in Southern California. I can't foresee that happening. If it were to take place, you would hear me come on here and be immensely critical of George Klyovkov and the presidents more than I ever have been so far, because that would be that that would be a mistake. So those are my thoughts on uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, the, you know, the, and, and then, you know, the, the good thing that came out of that is like the same, which is that they, they all appear to be committed to, to staying together. Like, yeah, I, they, I already knew that. So yeah, that's what I think about all that sort of stuff. Uh, next question. This from Mike Martin. Is there a reason, uh, WBD, which is Warner brothers has never come up in regards to a media deal. I understand they've been undertaking cost cutting measures, but with TBS, TNT, True Max or True TV and Max Streaming, they seem like they'd be a perfect fit. Warner Brothers owns Turner Broadcasting. Uh, so March Madness. Any info on why their name has never come up in a possible deal? So one one very legitimate reason here with regards to those channels is it's possible that if they were ever involved, for one reason or another, they might not have wanted it out. So one thing that was in a, a story I read the other day with regards to, I think it was a Pac-12 president. It might've been Schultz uh, from Washington State. I, I can't remember specifically, but I remember reading it. He said that one of the reasons that you know they're delaying the announcement of the deal or it's taking so long is that the economic downturn and the cuts that have come at some of these companies have been substantial and that optically it doesn't look good to announce a deal at a certain time. And if you're going to have three media rights partners, if you have like, ESPN, let's say Fox and Apple, for instance, they might want to wait to announce it at a certain point in time. I don't know that. I'm just saying that the PR of these companies is an entire department and they are very wary of when they announce certain things. So it's possible that Warner's been involved before or George Klyovkov has talked to them and nobody wanted to leak it out. Because here's the other thing too. The Pac-12 leaking that wouldn't get them anything because until you have an actual deal, clearly they can't win the public relations battle, which they you know haven't really been trying that hard to fight throughout this entire process anyway. But is it possible Warner has you know called and said, "Hey, what's the offer like here? Do we have this as uh, or do, do you have this in a price range that that we would consider reasonable or whatnot?" Or yeah, it's it's entirely possible that that happened and it just never leaked because maybe they didn't get that far in their communications, or that they didn't want it to get out because maybe they're a serious player and nobody knows because the Pac-12, as we know, as a front office, has been very tight-lipped. So it's entirely possible. But the other thing here is Warner Brothers is a big big media company, right? And they own Turner, like you mentioned, Mike, TBS, TNT, and, and True TV, right? So all the March Madness broadcasts are, are on, those, on those networks. And then uh, CBS, obviously, as well. So it's not as if they're strangers to the sports broadcasting space, right? So like in, in theory, if you, if you came out somehow, and like, let's just say as a hypothetical here, not reporting anything, just I, just just hypothetically bear with me here if you came out and said the pac-12 has agreed to a media rights deal with amazon or, or let's say apple espn and the third partner was like tbs that would be pretty darn great for the pac-12 right it'd be outstanding because 
those companies know what it means to broadcast sports, what it means to broadcast college sports. Have they done college football? No. But are they familiar with the sports broadcasting landscape more than an entity like Ion Television or the CW or Apple or Amazon? Yes, absolutely. So I think it'd be a viable option for them. But then the question is, when would they be able to air the games? Like that's a logistical hurdle that every potential media entity has to get over is what time can you broadcast the games? Because remember, TBS, TNT, and, and True TV, which we only watch during March Madness, but like just look at TBS and TNT, for instance, those particular channels, they have a lot of content. And they put things like Major League Baseball, the Major League Baseball playoffs are on TBS. They have several games on there every year. Does that conflict maybe with the timing of when you would air Pac-12 football games? That can be a hurdle. TNT shows a lot of NBA basketball. That can be a hurdle because what they wouldn't want to do is go bid on this new entity for, for them as, as an endeavor, you know, for, uh, for, for a sports broadcasting, you call it project or opportunity or whatever, but then have to bump out something that they have and that they know works, right? So all of those sorts of details are immensely complicated. Part of the reason I think the deal is taking so long to get done is they're negotiating a brand new one with a number of different companies, but you know, the, the Warner question, right? Fundamentally, it could be very simple, Mike. It could just be that Warner doesn't have an interest in the Pac-12, right? They feel content with their their lineup of television and, and live sports that, that they show, and they don't need to go into, uh, into that particular space. And then, as I mentioned, the economic situation being what it is, uh, you know, layoffs at some of these companies, that could all factor into them not being an interested party. But that's everything they have to look at, right? Would they be able to put the games on at a reasonable time? Does that conflict with anything they have now? Do they have the logistical manpower to be able to broadcast those games? And do they see it as a valuable entity, right? That's kind of your, your very basic generic outline and rundown of what someone is looking for with regards to you know bidding on uh, the Pac-12's media rights. So great question, by the way. I, I, like, I had not thought of them at all. But then I look at those channels and like, imagine if the Pac-12 games were split between ESPN and TNT. Would anybody would anybody say there's an exposure problem? No, of course not. Like, I think it'd be fantastic. But is the desire there from Warner? That's a separate question. Uh, but great, great question, though, Mike. This one, last one here uh, to wrap up the week from the, the best name of any question asker ever, maybe. Nodak Millsap 81. I went right to Paul Millsap. The old wily NBA veteran who had a very successful career in the league. I don't know if he's still hanging around somewhere or not, but the question is also a great one. Who is this year's Oregon State bottom dwellers who will win eight or more games this year? So this is a fascinating question. I think there are two teams that I'm not guaranteeing or even feel that confident in the fact that they will do this, but could I see it materializing with certain key factors? Absolutely. Arizona and Washington State. So Oregon State, right, talked about them extensively on yesterday's show, has had a slow and steady build under Jonathan Smith. In full college football seasons, right, he's entering year six, but one was the COVID year. Two wins, five wins, seven wins, ten wins. 
So you're talking about a bill, right? He's asking who could make that sort of jump where they have that really stellar season that puts them on the map in a way that, that they hadn't been before. And Oregon State had that a year ago. They win 10 games for the first time in over 15 years, and then they bring in DJ Uyunglele this offseason. That didn't happen. They didn't attract that sort of player in the portal, or if the portal had been what it was in 2017-18, that would not have happened at Oregon State. They would not have gotten DJU. But because of what they did, they elevated their profile in a way to where DJU said, yeah, that's a place where I want to go play football, and I think I can succeed, and I think he can succeed more than he did at Clemson because he won't be asked to do quite as much. So the two teams are Arizona and Washington State. I say that because you're entering – Full year two, but basically year three with Jake Dickert at the helm. You've got Cam Ward returning. I trust Jake Dickert on the defensive side of the ball. They're not bringing in high-level defensive players. They do still have Ron Stone Jr. playing edge there, so they've got at least one good pass rusher. But do they have one of the more talented rosters? No, they have one of the least talented rosters in the Pac-12. And yet, they've had one of the best defenses in the league the last couple of years. And they got off to a sluggish start a year ago. And remember, they were 7-4 and four going into the Apple Cup against Washington, in which they played the Huskies tight. But Washington ultimately uh, you know, pulled away there at the end and got the win. But Cam Ward, as the season went on, progressed immensely. And I will not be surprised at all, right? The question was about who could, you know, who's a residual bottom dweller who could pop and win over eight or more games this year. Washington State's win total is six and a half. I could see them going over. If Cam Ward plays at a high level in all but one or two games this year, the way he's capable of, he's got a big arm. He's a dynamic playmaker, ridiculous athlete, instinctual. He's got a lot of high-level traits as a quarterback. And if he maximizes his potential, then the offense will be able to score points and the defense is going to make enough plays to keep them in games. And I could absolutely see that. I mean, it, it's just not that big of a stretch to say a team with a six and a half point win total would go to eight or nine wins. I think nine is probably the upper limit there. But could I see it happening? Yeah, I could. They were a good team last year. They were seven and five in the regular season. And they had a number of close contests that didn't go their way. Remember, they should have beaten Oregon in Pullman. They had Washington in their sights at the very least in Pullman as well. And they very nearly beat Utah. At home, And I think if they play Utah later in the season, when Utah had a backup quarterback, they might have beaten him there. So I don't think they were that far from eight or nine wins a year ago, and I could see them making that jump. Now, the other team I pick here is Arizona, because Arizona very closely resembles Oregon State in one particular way. They have a low-key, not big-time recruiter. Jet Fish is recruited better than Jonathan Smith at uh, Oregon State. It's easier to recruit at Arizona, though, to be sure. But not going to you know, bring in an incredible amount of talent, but have some sneaky, nice additions, right? They brought in two uh, Power 5 linebacker transfers and four Power 5 transfers along the defensive line. I think that's notable because that's where Arizona needs to improve. They've got the offense to score with anybody. Remember, they went into Seattle last year and put up 39 points on the Huskies. Was it a great Washington defense? No, but it was a really good Washington team, and you went into their home field and you put up 39 points. They can score. You got Tetairoa McMillan. You got Jaden Delora. You got Jacob Cowing all coming back this year. And if their offensive line and their defense can hold up, then their offense is going to produce. And if their defense takes step for, takes a step forward, that was a five-win team last year that beat UCLA on the road as a 20-point underdog. 
And I could absolutely, I don't think it's going to be easy. I think Washington State is a little bit more likely, but I could absolutely see Arizona in the Oregon State model of things slowly building and having a bit of a pop year because they won one game in Jed Fish's first year. They won five last year. And you have a lot of your returning production from a year ago. So those would be my, my, my top picks for who could go eight or above that have been trying to fight their way out of the bottom tier. I think they're the most likely candidates for it. I think other teams, you know, Colorado, Stanford, Arizona State, I, I think they're a ways away. I'll throw up this graphic on YouTube real quick. I, I think they're still a, a ways away. But from that right side, look, I, I, I'm higher on Cal than most, but I still think there's a little bit of, of a ceiling there. That, that I'll believe when I see, but I think they'll go over four and a half wins this year. But I take Arizona and Washington State to be those uh, those kind of pop teams this year that you know have a season that really kind of puts them back on the map and makes them more relevant than they had been in prior seasons. Great questions today. Appreciate all of you. Again, keep the questions coming in. I love answering mailbag questions so very much. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'll see you next time and enjoy the weekend as well.